0: For Tandem Launch, I'm Jermaine Murray, and this is The Launch, a podcast all about tech startups. Today, Cubit has been investing in startups for over 20 years. He's seen small ones become titans, and he's seen titans scale down. Now, more than ever, we need the insights of an investor during these troubled times. And Code was kind enough to stop by and give us some insights on what the day-to-day looks like for an investor. So the title of this particular podcast is Demystifying Venture Capital Investment for Investors. And Code, you're part of Mistral Venture Partners. Can you tell us a bit about Mistral and yourself?
1: Sure, the first thing to know is it's pronounced Mistral and it's a subtle nuance, but the name comes from a wind in Europe that comes from the north. And, uh, and packs a wallop. And I first learned of that word uh, when I was sailing in the Med and got hit by one. And I thought the name was appropriate because it's, a, it's preceded by very calm air and calm water. And uh, out of nowhere, you get a, a big jump in wind speed and pressure and it, and it rocks your boat. And so I thought that was a appropriate double entendre for a venture firm in Canada uh, focused on the rest of the world.
0: Sounds like you're trying to uh, uh, market yourself as being disruptors, like you're just rocking the boat and shaking the table.
1: (laughs) You could say that, I suppose. All VCs are disruptors. It's a tough business. It's not for the faint of heart
0: no no it isn't and for a lot of people it, it can be a quite intimidating one you know from the perspective of you know people that want to make their own startups or their own founders and trying to approach somebody to you know get uh, any sort of support whether it's financial or just based off experience you know has anybody ever just tried to do an elevator pitch in front of you you know just without no qualms they just knew who you are they're like hey code and then boom, right right into the, the, the value proposition.
1: <laughs> sure, lots of times. I've been doing this 20 years, so you can imagine the, the number and different ways people pitch. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is we're no different than, than a customer. It's hard to ask a customer for their business and should be equally hard to ask a, an investor for their money. And so you, you always have to be prepared and take advantage of the moment if you have it.
0: So what was the most... Uh... I guess if they're separate what was the most creative pitch that someone has ever said to you and what was the most effective pitch now if they're the same one that's cool uh if not you know i i imagine that the creative pitch you know has a lot of room for uh catastrophe (laughs)
1: um i've literally seen i don't know that many thousands of pitches um the nature of the beast we see probably six seven hundred deals a year and so over 20 years that adds up um I, you know it's funny i one one pitch that i think of as memorable actually wasn't even so much the pitch as the follow-up and uh, and not to not to, to precede this um with an ask but I, I i for whatever reason the conversation of scotch came up and so in the mail a week later i got a bottle of scotch from an entrepreneur and it's the only one I've gotten. So I didn't fund it, I have to say in the end, but it was a nice gesture and certainly memorable. So that wins for creativity. In terms of um, the best pitch, I think that, uh, um, you know, it's the one where you learn something insightful that, that you went in not knowing. And, you know, a big part of innovation and entrepreneurship is recognizing a hole in the market and an opportunity uh, to change it. And so the, the most, Uh, Effective pitch in my mind is someone who comes prepared with an opinion, uh, you know, and and a well researched and well articulated plan on uh, addressing a market need um, and how they're going to do it. And so, I you know I think that's that's table stakes that's really important. It's not good enough to sort of open up a business book and and build a business plan uh, you know you copy the the powerpoint from from some website and say okay well I answered all your 10 questions therefore you owe me money. Um it's definitely a much deeper thought process that that wins the day for me.
0: Yeah I find the ideas of pitching very interesting because in one way, it's a sales process. You know, you're, you're trying to uh, communicate value to the person that you're pitching to in a small amount of time, but usually um, from like my experience as a cold caller and working outside sales, you're trying to encourage the person you're trying to sell to, to talk as much as possible. But the dynamic here is different because you only have oh so much time and you know, you're not really trying to get the investor to talk. You're trying to get them to listen without overindulging in just talking about yourself. Um, it, it's it's a tricky thing. Like, do, do you have any advice to, for people when it comes to like uh, carving out their pitches or just what elements they should highlight? And you, you mentioned making sure that they don't just go through a, a standard template and thinking that can get the deal done. You know, what is the X factor that would make you go, okay, I, I'm interested. I'm peaked.
1: Yeah, that's that's a well articulated question. I, you know, you coming from a sales background, you'll appreciate the notion of you know one, uh, one call gets you a second call, and I I use the phrase five, fifteen, thirty, and so the first five seconds um, ideally gets you fifteen seconds, which buys you thirty, and then you can get your next ask. And so, I think I would suggest staging things right. So your first hour is really to plant the seed of rapport and relationship and interest in what you have. And um, I would say it's it's a mutual conversation. So I think you know the entrepreneur who comes in and just sort of you know blurts out everything they've ever done and, and wants to do and and why they're special without taking the time to listen um, the, from the other perspective is 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 doing themselves a disservice, right? So there is a, to start off, there's a match between an investor's profile of what they're looking for in terms of stage and size and geography, technology, market, customers, all of those things. It's really important to um, have a back and forth conversation with the investor to find out what it is that, that gets them excited and then cater to it or don't. Right. So if there's not a match, um, I think, you know, the advice is quickly shift the conversation into one where you're seeking advice. And you're you're looking for help with your business. A good VC, you know, will recognize that a deal is not for them, but then they'll spend the rest of the time um, helping and, and guiding and giving advice. So I think, you know, once you you know that the battle's lost, uh, you know, I think it's about shifting tack. the The other thing is, I think that first conversation is about, again, setting the stage for the next conversation. So it's about. Um, Talking about where you've come so far and and what insights you have and getting them interested in what you're doing and then setting the stage in terms of okay Well, here's what I'm going to do over the next few weeks next few months and then coming back um, And updating on the progress that you've made so it's about setting expectations and then uh, achieving those expectations the the last thing that a VC wants is is um, over promising and under delivering so Again, stage the conversations, it's a, it's a long relationship, um, set it on solid footing and then build from there.
0: This was a mistake that I, I made very early on when I started doing sales and cold calls, thinking that you literally only have like one shot to get it right. Um, and it's and I think that's why you get people that come and they do the, the verbiage, like, you know, try to give you everything that they've done in their life in 60 seconds because they feel like this is my one and only shot. Um, but what you're saying is that there's more of a measured approach that that is available. It's like a sales process, you know, at the end of the day, you call, you establish, and then if you, you're thinking about this in the long term. So there'll be frequent calls back and forth before a formal commitment actually gets solidified.
1: But that's always the case. And I would just put it simply, you know, how much bandwidth does somebody have? Think about it this way. The VC is listening to two or three pitches a day. Um, that's a lot of information to digest. Not to mention all the other things that they're doing, right? So they have a portfolio of companies, have a portfolio of investors. We've got a lot going on, and so um, for you to dump fifty different facts that are, you know, what are perceived to be really critical to your business, it, it's not that relevant to a conversation when you're getting things started. So really focus on one or two key things um, that you think are, are the real drivers of the business, and if you if you hit those home. Uh, Then you can expand the relationship later, but it's not about hitting the top. So
0: it's more about highlighting again, the the high level aspects of what you're trying to do, why it's valuable. And then at a further conversation is when you can add the little bells and whistles. And instead of exploring the depth of what you're trying to do, more about the width of what's available and what's possible, you know, um, in terms of like looking at the, the VC space on a whole, you know, what surprises you about some of the misconceptions or like some of the myths that people assume to be fact when it comes to the VC space?
1: <laughs> that's interesting. Um, maybe I'll, I'll spin it slightly differently. I think um, there's there's a there's a preconceived notion. A couple of things. One is that that VCs are all assholes, um, and and while this is a business that's filled with big egos. Um, you know, I think a good investor who's experienced and successful is actually quite the opposite. They become quite humble, um, and that's a trait you should look for. Um, to the extent that, you know, when I was starting out, um, you know, I felt like, wow, I'm a big bad VC now, top of the food chain, and uh, and therefore, you know, whatever I say is is gold, and, and I'm a you know alpha predator. Um, that's still pretty rampant, actually, and unfortunately, uh, I think that that, um, a good investor and a good VC is somebody who, you know, is very curious, um, is partnership oriented, um, and, you know, deliberate in their, their desire to help. And so, you know, I think there's a misconception that, that VCs are all knowing, you know, wise, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I shouldn't say there's a misconception. I, you know, I, I think they're somewhat revered and, and, and hated at the same time. So, um, Anyway, I'm kind of rambling at that point, but uh, you know, I think at, at the end of the day, we're running a business like you are. We have customers like you do, and uh, and understanding the dynamic that, that we go through is really important when you're when you're pitching a VC.
0: Um, there, there should be a lot of research done before somebody just walks into a VC to really tailor their approach to it. Um, when it comes to startup founders, is there anything that continues to surprise you about just how they've they've been developing their product or just, I guess, some, some, uh, some more common traits? I mean, we're moving into like a new era with with COVID and the way that the world is starting to respond and react. You know, are you starting to see um, are you starting to see some trends developing from the people that you're interacting that you might consider funding?
1: I don't. I don't think COVID fundamentally changes business. Um, you know, I think it changes the types of solutions that are that, that entrepreneurs are coming up with. Uh, one trend I think that I would argue that I see is that entrepreneurship is a thing now, whereas 20 years ago it was it was you know an entrepreneur was someone who couldn't find a job, and today it's a career, it's a mindset, it's a discipline, it's a uh, a calling. That uh, a lot more people understand and appreciate and um, chase after, which I think candidly is a good thing. I, I fundamentally believe that entrepreneurs hold the keys to, to fixing our planet, and uh, and VC's job, frankly, to support them. But um, so, but in terms of changes because of COVID, I, you know, I think it's the it's the hammers that are changing, not the nails. Um, the other the other trend that I see is that. Entrepreneurs are are much more sophisticated now than they were, you know, twenty years ago. Certainly, and and I think that in large part is because of all of the incubators and accelerators and podcasts and education that's gone on. Um, you know, entrepreneurs are very good at pitching now. They're very good at putting decks together. They're very good at data rooms. They're very good at, um, you know, the the building blocks of building companies. And so I think that's a big step forward the the one thing though that i that i think may be lacking sometimes is um, a deep thorough understanding of what it is that moves their business and you know that's frankly what separates the the really good entrepreneurs in my opinion from the ones that are you know kind of i use the expression entrepreneurs and and what that means is truly understanding their customer's pain um, and their product that solves it on a, on a very deep level
0: the amount of parallels between sales and entrepreneurship and i guess like of course they go hand in hand entrepreneurs are essentially hustlers you know it not only in uh, identifying market opportunities but also um, with uh, articulating value getting getting people to buy into you um i just find it interesting in the sense that just in the sense that a lot of this is all seems like there's a there's a heavy aspect on relationship building as well um would you consider somebody Would you consider um, has anybody? I'm your phrase. Has anybody like a colleague, like another investor, referred a company to you for you to invest in that they didn't invest themselves? And if so, would that raise a red flag for you, or would that kind of mimic how um, we get referrals in like the real world, where it's like a friend referring this to me uh, means it's something I can I can trust and might want to give my ear to?
1: Yeah, I mean, what you're poking at is is a notion of quality of inventory so if you if you bring it down to the most basic level so we are our product is return on investment and so we go to our customers which are investors and we say to them we are going to find a whole bunch of um investments and we're going to put money in them and then that money is going to grow and we're going to give you back much more than you've given us so at a very basic level that's that's what we do not unlike walmart that buys products from someone puts it on shelves sells it to a customer and makes a profit and um, so the product itself is the entrepreneurial ideas and businesses that entrepreneurs create and just like any business uh, there's going to be different levels of quality of deal and we spend a lot of our time thinking about quality over quantity as i mentioned we look at many hundreds of deals every year um and, you know, the question is really what separates the best deals from the, the not so good deals. Uh, and the reality is we do four or five investments a year, new investments, and that's it. So so really what separates that 1% from the other 99%? Um, just to be clear, that doesn't mean that that 1% is always wildly successful and the other 99 are not. Uh, it just means that's who we've picked for our portfolio. Um, so our deal sources come from our deals. Yeah, sources are a number of different areas. So whether it's other VCs, that's one good source, whether it's other entrepreneurs we've backed in the past, uh, lawyers, accountants, um, bankers, um, you know, there's, there's lots of different sources of deal flow. And in general, uh, and then incubators, accelerators, et cetera, in general, we think about uh, kind of a hierarchy of quality of deals. So for example, if uh, a VC sends me a deal it's it's going to rank much higher than a than a deal that I got uh, in my inbox unsolicited. So people often talk about getting a warm intro. I think that 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 stands true. Um, my inbox is a complete disaster, and it's, it's very unlikely I'm going to look at a cold email uh, unless I recognize the name of the sender. So the VC intro is very high quality, and but within that, to your question, there's going to be different. Um, different quality levels, even within those intros. So, you know, a VC that's uh, at the same stage as us. So let's say they're a seed investor and they send us a deal. If they're not investing in the deal, there must be a good reason why. Otherwise, we'll think it's a crappy deal. The the fact of the matter is uh, a seed investor won't send another seed investor a deal that they're not doing um, because they they if you send out crap, you're going to get crap back. And so you're you get branded with that crappy deal flow. And your okay. reputation is really important. So, so yeah, it's it's um, deals are the currency of venture capital, and that's a, a, an important distinction. Um, and so, whatever I whatever I put my stamp on as an endorsement, you have to stand by that. So you don't make an intro lightly. Um, and that's why you'll see state uh, levels of intro. So, for example, if I say to an entrepreneur, "Oh, you should go and talk to so and so." Uh, that's sort of the bottom. right? I'm telling them the name of the firm and telling them to go and figure it out. Uh, If I say, um, oh, you can tell them that I told you, well, that's one step up. Um, If I uh, actually make the introduction to that other firm and say, oh, you should talk to the startup. I think they're really great. Uh, They're a good fit for us or they're not because of X, Y, and Z. Well, then that's a gold introduction. And so uh, there's all of these nuances about how and, and where and uh, you get your introductions.
0: Thank you so much. That's uh, that's actually some very valuable insight that I think a lot of people don't consider um, when they're entertaining this type of space or trying to attract investors. It's not all like Shark Tank. You don't just go and and, <laughs> and, and bring it out and bring the guns out and, and shoot your shot there. So let's talk a bit more. Let's talk a bit more about that mindset um in, a, in in some other uh previous episodes we we've spoken with some investors and some of them have have articulated that there are a number of different reasons why a deal might quote-unquote get killed before it's it's settled um one of the, one person mentioned that if they if they feel like the uh the founder is an asshole they won't <laughs> invest in them because it's like you can't inspire anybody to stay with you um in your mind you know what are some of the reasons that uh, uh, that deals have gotten killed, quote unquote, on your watch before in the past? And, you know, what could people do to prevent uh, putting themselves in that position where they were so close, but yet so far?
1: Sure. It's a good question. Uh, let me start out by saying that that real venture capital is nothing like Shark Tank. Absolutely nothing like it whatsoever. It just If that's what you think it is, then you're just wrong and you got to stop watching TV. Um <laughs> so, in terms of why we kill deals, you know the, the list is extremely long, right? Not surprisingly, we kill ninety-nine percent of the deals that we that we look at. Um, and so, there's a couple things that play here. First, is VCs rarely kill deals um, if they're smart. Generally, what they say is not right now, and you'll hear that a lot as an entrepreneur. And and you'll rarely um, you'll rarely get a reason. Uh, sometimes, you know, actually, there's there's a bunch of reasons, but the the most innocuous one is you're too early. And that's very frustrating to to entrepreneurs. But what that really means is, I'm just not interested in your deal. And the the reasons for that are uh, surprising in some cases. So I'll give you some of the non-textbook answers. Um, I've had a bad day, and my family is upset with me, and so I'm in a bad mood. That's a reason to kill a deal. I just did a deal, and we just closed a month ago and that entrepreneur is annoying me so i'm not going to do your deal that's a reason to kill a deal it's friday and i'm trying to get to the cottage and you're pitching me at four o'clock and you just won't shut up that's a reason to kill a deal so there's a lot of reasons that are have nothing to do with your business and uh they're somewhat surprising but we're people at the end of the day and so um and and sometimes we don't want to put the brain power into a response to say well we don't like the market size because it's too small and we did a bunch of analysis that would be a good answer and that's the kind of answer you'd like to get because then there's some some value in it but unfortunately probably half the time you're going to get a non non-valuable answer now the 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 real question is what do you do about it and the answer is is actually pretty simple it's about volume Right, It's about a pipeline of VCs. It's about a lot of meetings. It's about honing your pitch. It's about finding what resonates and focusing on that. It's about getting customers and traction, meanwhile, because VCs love traction and momentum. Um, And it's about talking to 100 VCs uh, and hoping to get one term sheet. And unfortunately, those are the numbers and, and that's the way it's gotta be played.
0: That's actually very interesting. When um when I speak to people and they reach out to me about like how to help them with interviews or like any advice, I, I actually say the same thing to them. Like, you gotta remember that the person sitting across from you is a is an actual person. And like the worst thing that you can do for a person in an interview is to bore them. And I I was actually you couldn't see me, but my mouth was ajar when you were telling me the multitude of reasons people might kill a deal. Um, but it makes sense. I mean, we're, we're humans. And um, this is a I, I imagine that even though VCs is a VC is a numbers game, there's still a, a bit of an emotional attachment in there. Like you you have to be you either have to uh, feel confident in the person that is pitching the idea. And like that emotional response is like, OK, I can trust to invest in this person or the emotional response is like they're working on something that aligns or speaks with me. But, at the end of the spectrum, like you said, if it's a Friday towards a long weekend and it's four p m and you're trying to pitch me and I'm trying to get out the office, I'm not going to have good feelings about you. Um, so so yeah. what would be the, what would be the best yep. day to pitch Wednesday afternoon? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, so it's a good question. actually, I would say uh, mornings are better than afternoons, right? We're a little like a doctor's office. By four o'clock, we're completely fried, and we still have several hours to go. Um, so you're not going to get full mind share late in the day. So earlier is better. I would argue Tuesday, maybe Wednesday morning would be ideal. That's completely anecdotal, but I'll throw it out there. Um and I would say, you know, what is the what is the expression? If you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. And so if you come in and you diffuse the situation and say, look, I'm just here for advice. We're just starting our roadshow. Um, you know, I'm hoping that you'll give me candid feedback. And, um, you know, if you, if you want to invest, that's great, but really I'm looking for your advice. I think that's a great way to, to disarm an investor. Um, then they don't have to have their game face on and they, you know, the, the pressure's off, uh, and they can relax. And so that's your job at the beginning of the meeting is to find a way to make them relax. I don't know if it's bring them a t-shirt from your company or, you know, talk, figure out what they're interested in maybe they're a cyclist or the motorcycles or fast cars or whatever it is, find some common ground. Generate the rapport and then get into the business um, and make it a conversation, not a pitch. That's the best way to start
0: off. That's actually some very, very sound advice right down to a script. Amazing. Uh, well, code before we wrap up, is there any last things that you feel like our audience uh, would, be, would be worthwhile for our audience to know maybe about you, maybe about your VC firm? Um, or the industry on a whole?
1: Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't plug our firm. So um, Mistral is a seed stage fund run by guys who've been doing this for decades. Um, We have over a hundred limited partners and they're all entrepreneurs and cashed out high net worth executives. Uh, They pitch in to help our companies. Uh, We invest in uh, enterprise focused companies. So we don't do consumer and social networks and gaming and gambling. Um, and we are we are true partners um you know we we do seed because we love it we like going from zero to one we think that's where the action is and we have a tremendous amount of respect um, and profound admiration for the entrepreneurial journey so um always looking to meet with with smart uh, entrepreneurs who are looking to change the world
0: on the next episode of the launch Ultimately, most look, um, tech transfer offices at universities, uh, you know, understand that
1: their role is to take these academic inventions that were primarily funded by, you know, government funding, and their goal is to sort of get those technologies into the marketplace.